our Roy Jr. kids, you guys can go back there to David. Brody, thank you for sharing, um, giving us a little update. It's a good reminder for us for our 2024 challenge to church be praying uh, for our missionaries week in and week out. Um, I'm super excited about tonight. Uh, this is one of my favorite gospel stories that we're going to be in. And I thought about bringing like a rocking chair up here and treating it like kind of like a, I'm going to tell a story. Um, and uh, I, I do have, um, I don't have a rocking chair, but um, one of the, uh, the books my kids have uh, for this story specifically is called The Storm That Stopped. And, uh, and so you, most of you are probably very familiar with this passage of scripture um, of Jesus calming the storm. But um, I believe we can still learn something fresh and new uh, from something we are very well acquainted with if we would just be humble enough to um, pay attention and ask the Lord to teach us. And so um, if, if you've never, if you find it hard to have conversations with people um, about the gospel or about anything um, religious whatsoever. I think one of the easiest ways to start those conversations is to ask questions. Uh, and one of the greatest questions that you can always ask somebody is, who is Jesus? And I think that's one of the greatest questions you can ask because when uh, someone hears that question, they automatically think something um, about Jesus. And, and it's, it's probably one of the most important questions you could ask because it's going to tell you a lot about them, how they respond. So whatever they say in response to the question, who is Jesus, you're going to learn something about what they believe about God and where they are in life. And so, um, that's a question that I want us to start with and what I want us to end with. I believe we see it in the passage of Scripture tonight. And so I want to pray and I want to read this passage together. I want you to follow along in the Bible in front of you or on the screen. Let's pray and then we read God's Word. Father, we are humbled tonight to hear how you're working across the world, around the world, uh, in in people groups that some of us can't even spell, much less pronounce, and we are just humbled that, that you are God alone, that you are sovereign over all things, and that your gospel is going forth, your word is being shared, your church is advancing, and we praise you, and we stand in awe of you. I thank you so much uh, Lord, that we have this incredible opportunity right now to read your word, and I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, that you would grant to us ears to hear the words that are going to be read from your holy word. And Jesus, I pray that you would transform us tonight for your honor, for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. This is God's word. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, 
peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So the last few Sundays, we've been in passages where Jesus is teaching parables. Um, We've come to the end of that day of all of the teachings that he did, where remember the boat was his pulpit. So he's still in the boat, and he's like, hey guys, let's take this boat and let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so um, the day is drawing to a close. It's evening. He tells us in verse 35 what they're going to do and where they're going to go. Right? And what we've seen already in the Gospel of Mark is if Jesus says something, he speaks with authority, and it comes to pass. Right? And so he says, let's go to the other side. And so um, one thing I picked up on this time that usually when, when you study the story, people think you only see and you see pictures, you know, of the boat in the little, the little boat, the big storm, it being tossed by the waves. You see one boat, but there's other boats here. That's what it says. Now, that's not the point of the passage, right? Um, but it's interesting that there's not just this one boat with the, the, the disciples and Jesus. So there's other people who were there who witnessed this. And, uh, and so the story, I found this interesting, the story starts calm, right? They're just sailing along across the other side. It's peaceful. Then, bam, verse 37 happens. A great windstorm. A fierce gale, if you will, or a squall. Those are other words for storms. We don't readily use those. Gales, squalls. The Sea of Galilee is pretty temperamental. Um, I was driving uh, down the four lane the other day and thought about the Sea of Galilee because um, it's kind of like, now I've never been on the Sea of Galilee, but this is what I read. Um, It's like, uh, if you've been on the four, four lane, It's like if Andrews was just a lake, and you have these mountains. So there's the valley. It's full of a lake, and you have these mountains, right? And so the the Sea of Galilee actually is 700 feet below sea level, right? And you have this cold air on top of the mountains rolling down on top of the sea, and it crashes with this warm air, and it creates these instantaneous storms, where it could have been calm, but then all of a sudden, there's this crazy windstorm that um, people have said the, the, the waves can get up to 10 feet high, which is pretty high, and the little fishing boats back then weren't very big. Um, actually, they discovered one uh, a few years ago recently. They unearthed it, and it wasn't very big at all. It was like 27 feet long. It was like 4 feet high, 8 feet wide. It was big enough for about 15 fishermen to be on. Okay, it's pretty fascinating. But you can imagine one of those things, being in one of those, and, and the waves being kicked up, right? Um, and so while I've never been on the Sea of Galilee, I have been on a lake uh, fishing with my father and one of his buddies and my brother. And I remember us being out there having a good time, good weather. It was nearing the end of the day. Um, and then this crazy storm hits, and it got dark really fast, much faster than it should have for where the sun was. And um, we're in the middle of a thunderstorm in the middle of this massive lake. And I was like, well, this is not fun. Uh, and so we're drenched, we're soaking wet, and we're trying to get across um, to the dock. But we can't get to the dock. It's so choppy on the lake. And we know lakes don't have waves. It's not the ocean, 
right? But this storm was pretty big. So we, we were like, we need to hop on this little island. We just need to get off the water. So we got off the water, and I was really thankful for land, but I was still scared of the lightning. And I was like, we're in the middle of this storm. Now we're standing underneath these trees, and the lightning's everywhere, you know? And, and so these guys are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They don't have no island, right? Like, like, like they're, 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 like, not looking for a dock. They don't know if they're going to make it to the other side. It's dark. It's scary, Right? And in verse 37 gives us a description of this scene. And if you'll notice in verse 37, there are no people in the scene. It's just the weather and the boat in verse 37 is what's being described. So we see wind, waves, water sloshing all over the place. The boat's being filled up and the boat is about to sink. And then verse 38, we have this scene from the people's perspective. Look at verse 38. Is a, is a very descriptive verse. You could tell just by this verse that Mark got this information from a firsthand account, right? This was eyewitness, firsthand account information. Otherwise, how, why would someone mention a pillow? There's a cushion that Jesus is sleeping on, right? So everything is in chaos. Everyone is in chaos, but Jesus is snoozing in the back of the boat. That's where the stern is for you land people. Back of the boat, right? He's at peace. He's completely calm. He must have been zonked, right? I mean, because I'd imagine there's not like a nice little captain's corner cabin that he could go in and sleep, but he's like knocked out. Um, and I, I, I couldn't help but see the contrast between the craziness of, of, of the scene and Jesus being asleep at peace. And this is interesting for a few reasons. In Psalm 121, it reminds us that God does not sleep. He will not let your foot be moved. He, will, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So what does this verse teach us about Jesus then? That he was tired. That he was tired after teaching. He was a teacher. He'd been teaching all day. Any teacher can testify it's exhausting to teach kids or anybody. You've been teaching all day, especially if you've been teaching outside, you're going to be super tired. And so Jesus is worn out. He sleeps. This teaches us that Jesus is a man. He's totally man. And anybody can relate to this. If you've ever gotten tired and you ever needed to fall asleep, right? And you can fall asleep in any situation, anywhere, when you're extremely tired, even if it's an uncomfortable place. So we know Jesus is totally man, but what about the disciples, right? They are perplexed, if you will, and they're freaking out, to put it mildly. They are, um, I think you can say, at their wit's end. How do we know that? Well, because they rebuke Jesus, which is pretty serious, This is the first of three rebukes that we see in the passage. They insinuate that Jesus doesn't care about them. Hey, Jesus, you cleansed the leper. You you healed the paralytic. You removed a fever from Peter's mother-in-law. You made a wither man's hand grow. You made it strong. You made him healthy. You cast out demons from other people. Don't you care about your own disciples? Don't you care that we're about to die? Of course Jesus cared, right? He still cares today. His word says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your 
anxieties on me because he cares. Jesus concerned himself enough to be involved in the disciples' lives. Of course he cares. We also know that they're freaking out because of the word they use in their rebuke. The word they use is perish. We are perishing. They think they're going to die. That word is a violent word, right? It means like untimely ruin or sudden death. It's utter destruction. It's a loss of life. We know that Jesus came into the world because his people were perishing, not in a storm, but in sin. And Jesus had some sharp words himself when he used this word throughout the Gospels that pierce our hearts. Three times in the Gospels, Jesus said the word perish. He said, Luke 13, 2 through 3, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The word lost is perish. John 3, 16, very familiar verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the disciples didn't understand who Jesus was at this point in time in their journey. They didn't believe that he was going to die on the cross and save them from their sin, much less that he would save them from the storm. But they, they had enough uh, at their wit's end to be like, we've done everything we can. We need to just wake up the teacher. Because, I mean, he has authority. Maybe he can pray and ask God to stop the storm. They're scared for their life. I think it's important to think about this. They were skilled fishermen, right? This would not have been the first time that these guys were on these seas, that they would have been, like, unfamiliar with this. Oh, oh, snap, here's a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Never seen one of these before. No, they're not novice navigators of these waters, right? They, they were already super familiar with them. They would have done everything within their power or control to get the boat under control. Whether that's like throwing stuff overboard, bailing out water, right? Like getting the sail up, getting the sail down, whatever you do in order to keep the boat afloat. They would have done it. But they're clearly so afraid, they don't know what else to do but wake up the teacher. So verse 39, we see the second rebuke in the passage. This is the turning point in this story. It says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So Jesus gets up. He rebukes or charges or give orders. He gave orders to the weather. Don't you wish you could do that? This past weekend, anybody lose power? Yeah, a few of you. Yeah, we did too for about a day. It would have been nice to have walked outside and said, hey, stop, and the wind would have stopped. People would have get, had power. Jesus gave orders to the wind. The air was moving. Strong wind, agitated wind. I find it fascinating that you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Jesus commands the unseen. Right? He spoke words to the sea. Any other person speaking to the sea would have been considered a lunatic. Right? Absolutely. You're like, you're bonkers. You've lost your mind. The last time we were at the beach, uh, my eight-year-old son, Case, some of you know him, he is a lunatic. 
um, he loved to play in the ocean, even though it was freezing. And we would go out in the ocean, and um, he also likes Captain America. I don't know how these two things correlate, but he would go out in the ocean, and the waves would be coming in, and he would pull up his arm when a wave would come, and he'd be like, stop, and he'd be like, and it would t- he'd get taken out, right? The waves wouldn't listen to him any time that he spoke to the waves. They just wouldn't listen, you know? So Jesus would have seemed like a lunatic for speaking to the sea and to the wind if they didn't do anything, if they didn't respond. But what does he say? If we could translate the word, it means hush, be silent, right? He basically puts the sea in check and it ceases. Well, I was a student pastor for a while and usually about this time of the year, every January or February, um, our church would do a D-Now weekend, which is basically an intense, um, long sleepover with a lot of middle schoolers and high schoolers. I know it sounds terrible, um, but it was a great idea, and, and the Lord used it. Um, it was an intense discipleship weekend, uh, and we would have, we'd, we'd use it as a, a really big um, time to, um, for all of the kids to invite their friends and so uh, we, would, we would have meals and people from the church bring meals, come and cook meals. And one uh, time we're in the, the cafeteria and, uh, and these, uh, these kids, there's about over like probably 150 people in the cafeteria eating. And I um, see out of the corner of my eye a kid uh, pick up a roll and stand up and hurl it across the room and hit this lady in the back of the head. And then another kid says, food fight. And I stand up on a chair, and I yell, hey, chill out. And it was just, just super quiet. And this was, like, early on in my student pastor tenure. So I was, like, in my, like, early mid-20s. And, and their eyes were, like, as big as saucers. And, and they stopped, you know. And you could say I was a fuddy-duddy for, you know, stopping the food fight or whatever, but I didn't want to clean it up. I knew they weren't going to, right? And, and so afterwards, people were like amazed. They were like, dude, and at this point in time, I had no kids. They were like, you used your dad voice. I was like, I don't, I don't have any children. How could I use my dad voice, right? But they said, I, I used my dad voice. Um, and it stopped because every teacher knows, right? If you have an unruly classroom, you need to take command of the classroom, and you need to shut down the unruliness, right? So you've got to elevate your voice, um, and you have to demand some calm. But if you don't have the authority to demand calm, then people aren't going to listen to you, right? Jesus would have seemed like a lunatic for speaking to the wind and the sea if they didn't respond. But in verse 39, it says that the wind ceased and there was a great calm. I think that we could all agree that if we were there, we would have been just like the disciples and just been speechless. In that book, I should have brought it and like show, show and tell. There's this one, my favorite picture is all of the 12 disciples sitting in the boat and they're, they're, they're drenched, right? The, the water's just 
dripping off their beards. Their, their mouth is open. All of them are, their eyes are bug-eyed and they're just like staring at Jesus. And it's just like, this is unbelievable. They're speechless. The sea is speechless. The wind and the waves just responded to the words that came out of Jesus's mouth. The, the sea stopped raging. There's perfect calm. There's tranquility. There's stillness. And I couldn't help but think that these Jews who knew the scriptures called to mind some passages in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 51, 16 says, speaking of God, when he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Psalm 135 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the sea and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. In Psalm 107, 23 through 29, provides us with a beautiful poetic description of this scene in Mark 4. This is what it says. Some went down to the sea in ships and doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the sea, waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. The disciples knew the scriptures. They were familiar with the scriptures and they just saw Jesus do something that only Yahweh could do. Only the great I am could do this. So what does this teach us about Jesus? He's totally God. He's no lunatic. He's the Lord of all creation. He's the creator who's commanding his creation. And it listens to him. Now, let's turn to verse 40. And you'll see the third rebuke in the passage. Jesus turns from rebuking the wind and the waves and starts speaking to his followers. And he says this, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So Jesus rebukes his disciples with these questions. Right? And we already know that he can see right through the human heart. He knows what's going on inside. He knows the questions that are there. He knows the fears that are there. He knows the judgment that's there. He knows what's going on. He sees their heart. He sees that they are seized with fear. And fear paralyzes a human being. Right? The opposite of fear is doubt. And we know that doubt will always lead to fear. And where there's an absence of faith, there's going to be fear. Jesus speaks more than a question to the disciples. It's more like a statement. You're afraid. Why? Where's your faith? After everything you've seen, where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Is Jesus asking you that question today? 
do you hear Jesus asking this question? Why are you so afraid? Have you forgotten who is with you? It seems like the disciples did. Right? He, he had told them, hey, get in the boat. We're going to the other side of the sea. Surely they, they, they were going to get there, storm or no storm. Jesus said it. They were afraid because they had forgotten who they were with. They forgot that Jesus was with them, and they felt powerless. They couldn't do anything. They were out of control. They were afraid because they forgot his word. They were in a situation that was out of their control, and it made them lose their faith. Now, if we had to define faith, we would say that faith is, is belief, right? It, it's trust. It's conviction. It's, it's having a, a strong, firm, confident trust in God. And what Jesus saw, if you remember back in Mark 2, what Jesus saw in the paralytic when his friends lowered him from the roof, what did he say? He said he saw their faith, right? And he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Here, Jesus doesn't see that in the disciples. While they were powerless against the weather, they just realized and saw and witnessed that Jesus is not powerless. Psalm 41, I mean in in verse 41, the last verse in this story, every time I read it, every time I think about it, I giggle a little bit, just picturing the disciples Right? And if you, can, if you can close your eyes and, and think about what that scene would have looked like, if you've ever been in a storm on the water, you know how crazy it is. If you've ever been in a, in a calm water, you know how peaceful it is. Right? But to go from one to another like that, like when they were drenched to the bone with hair matted all over their face, right? just sweating, hearts racing, Everything is calm. The rebukes are over. No one dares speak to Jesus. Verse 41 actually says they were filled with great fear, which is even more afraid than they were before. Right? They were terrified. This is exactly how people respond throughout the scriptures when they encounter the supernatural especially when it comes to angels. Every time somebody sees an angel in the scriptures, they're terrified, right? What does the angel say? Don't be afraid. Fear not, right? We just came out of the Christmas season, right? Remember the Christmas scene where the angels come and they announce to the shepherds, Jesus is born. What does it say in Luke 2, 9? And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. That's the exact same language that is used in Mark 4, 41. They were filled with great fear. Why? Because that baby that the angels were telling the shepherds about, that baby that was born in the city of David, that baby whose name means Savior, that baby who is Christ the Lord, that baby who is going to bring peace on earth, that baby grew up to be a teacher who would speak with authority, not only to the people, but to the wind and the waves. The ironic thing is, the weather 
obeys his word more than the people do. And that is scary. It would be pretty frightening to be in the presence of someone who speaks and the weather obeys their words. That'd be kind of scary if we're honest with ourselves. And I think we should notice that Jesus doesn't reply to the disciples like the angels do when people are afraid. The angels are like, fear not, don't be afraid. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, fear not, don't be afraid. Because it's healthy to have a proper, reverent fear of God. A healthy fear reveres God's holiness. The disciples realized that just for a brief moment, they got a glimpse of glory. They got a glimpse of true power, sincere, authentic, holy power. The disciples realized they were in the presence of the Holy One of Israel, and they're terrified. A great fear. That's what it says. A fear that they'd never experienced before in their whole lives. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. They're in the presence of the Holy One. But what's interesting about this fear is it's not a horror movie type fear. It's a fear that doesn't make you run away from him, but makes you run to him. Can you hear the disciples whispering amongst themselves? Verse 41 at the end. Who is this? Did you just see that? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Great question. Who is this? Who is Jesus? The disciples asked it. People still ask today. Everybody, every human must answer this question. Who is Jesus? And this passage answers it for us. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's fully God and fully man. My family absolutely loves Sovereign Grace music. Uh, they have an album for kids entitled Theology. And one of the songs is entitled Totally God, Totally Man. I wish I could play it for you. It's got a really cool reggae tune to it. I'm not going to sing it, but I am going to read a portion of the lyrics. This is what it says. Jesus, he's fully God and fully man. That's really hard to understand. So let me try to explain. Jesus, his word upholds the galaxies, but he babbled like a baby in his mother's arms. Jesus understands the universe, but he had to go to school to learn how to write his name. Jesus walked upon the ocean blue, but his feet got tired and dirty too on the dusty roads. Jesus cried when his friend Lazarus died, but his power brought him back to life when he called his name. He's totally God and totally man, both in one. He's the great I am. To save the world, fulfill God's plan, he had to be totally God and totally man. And that is the main idea of this passage of Scripture. It's not about Jesus calming the stormy sea in your heart. Will you face storms? Yes. Can he give you peace? Yes. But that's not the point of this text of Scripture. The point is Jesus is God in the flesh, and we should repent and believe. 
we should trust him. We should take him at his word. We should fear him. We should realize that he's with you and he is in control of all things. He's in complete control from India, where the Puritan people live, to Andrews, where you currently are sitting. He's in complete and utter control. He's always calm. He's never frustrated. He's cool. He's calm. He's collected. He doesn't let the circumstances shake him. Where we, human beings, are fickle, right? We, we get freaked out real fast. A lot of times we're full of anxiety. A lot of times we forget things. We fail to remember God's word. Jesus never did and never does. So when your situation seems out of control, we should trust the Lord's sovereign control because he's the only one who can truly bring peace when we believe his words, when we trust him. This is his word. This is the word of God. This is a command. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Who is Jesus? As the disciples saw that day, as nature saw that day, as we see afresh tonight, hopefully, he's totally God. He's totally man. He's both in one. He's the great I am. Sovereign over creation. He has authority over the wind and the waves. He has authority over you and me as well. That's why we should say, so what? Who's Jesus? He's totally God, totally man. So what? So what? Repent and believe. Trust him. Rely upon him. Believe him. Fear him. Remember, he's with you. There's nowhere else we could go. Don't let him be a last resort in your life where you think, I've done everything I know to do. I feel out of control. I guess I should turn to Jesus. He speaks, creation obeys. He's speaking right now through his word. Will you trust him? Will you submit to his authority? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for giving us your word that is alive and active, that is true, that is sufficient, and that is not afraid to meet us where we are, to tell us the truth about ourselves. Lord, And I fear that it would be very easy to blame the disciples, to laugh at the disciples, to wonder and point at them and, and say how silly they, they were to not know who was in the boat with them. But Lord, I feel like I would be right there with them. Oftentimes forgetting that you are God alone. Failing to remember your word. Failing to trust you. Lord, I pray that we would walk away today 
not remembering an incredible story, which this is, but remembering the truth that is contained in it, that you are mind-blowing Jesus, totally God, totally man. You entered into this world and lived a perfect life on this rock, something that we could never do. And that you took our place on the cross. You took the punishment for our sin, for all of our doubt, for all of our fear, for all of our rebellion. You absorbed that punishment in our place. You drank the wrath of God in our place, Jesus. And you defeated our greatest enemies of sin and death by rising victoriously from the grave. And you're alive today. That same Jesus, totally God, totally man. Help us to know you more, to love you more, to fear you more, and to obey you more. In your name we pray.